So Simon says, the first reading is John chapter 13, and it's found on page 1082 if you want to look it up in the Bible, church Bible. So we're starting to read at verse 34. A new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Simon Peter asked him, Lord, where are you going? Jesus replied, where I am going, you cannot follow me, but you will follow later. Peter asked, Lord, why can't I follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. Then Jesus answered, will you really lay down your life for me? Very truly, I tell you, before the cock crows, you will disown me three times. Now we move to the letter, the first letter of John, uh, chapter 4, verses 7 to 21, and that's on page 1227, page 1227, if you're following. Verse 7 of chapter 4. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only Son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. This is how we know that we live in him and he in us. He has given us of his spirit and we have seen and testify that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, God lives in them and they in God. And so we know and rely on the love God has for us. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. This is how love is made complete among us so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment. In this world, we are like Jesus. There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. We love because he first loved us. Whoever claims to love God, yet hates a brother or sister, is a liar. For whoever does not love their brother and sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. And he has given us this command, anyone who loves God must also love their brother and sister. This is the word of the Lord. Simon said at the start, it's a deceptively simple instruction. But I don't know about you, but I'm finding that with all of the one another's that we've been looking at so far. They're very simple. 
in terms of their, their wordings. But when it comes to actually applying them, that's when we begin to struggle um, and it becomes really hard work. So as we look again, I don't think I'm going to be saying anything unusual this morning in terms of looking at this command and what Jesus actually has to say in that passage in John. But let's pray that God will actually make this a reality for us in our life, in our community life here, in our lives in the community outside as well. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that we love because you first loved us. Help us to grasp that this morning. And help us too to apply the words that we've just heard read into our everyday lives to those we find it easy to love and those we find it hard to love. Help us to demonstrate your love in a love-starved world so that others will be drawn to that love too. Amen. It's thought that the Apostle John lived until a ripe old age, probably well into his 90s. And legend has it that when he got old and could no longer walk, he would be carried on a chair into the church in Ephesus. And whenever he was, that was done, he just had three simple words always on his lips as he was carried in. Love one another. That was all. He didn't say much else, I gather, at that sort of stage, so the legend goes. They were words that he'd first heard 60, 70 years previously in that upper room on the night that Jesus was betrayed. They were words that stuck with him. You only have to think about that chapter 4 of, of, of his first letter to see that. In fact, if you read the whole of that particular letter and the other two as well, it's right at the heart of what formed John and what drove him was to make sure that the church that he left behind was a church where love was paramount, where everyone loved one another. But why did those words stick with John. After all, Jesus had said many memorable things. So why this one, love one another? Why did that stick? Jesus gave us other commands. Why did love one another become the dominant one for John? Well, one of the reasons might be that these were some of the last words that Jesus shared with those disciples on the night he was betrayed. And if you're like me, the last words that you've heard with somebody, they tend to stick, don't they? And you carry them with you. I know I do with, with my grandparents and, and my parents as well. But I carry those words with me. They become and, and have an importance. And that may be one of the reasons. Another might be that John just reflects back on his own experience of Jesus' love. He'd messed up big time, he'd denied Jesus, he'd run away, he'd hidden. And what does Jesus do when they get back together on the shore after the resurrection? Jesus doesn't castigate him at all, he just simply asks those words, Simon, do you love me? And Simon Peter knew that he was loved at that point. 
But I wonder whether there's something else going on here. In his gospel, John records these words in that long section which we've come to call the Upper Room Discourse, spoken on the night that Jesus was betrayed. It's a discussion around a meat table, and it contains some of the most intimate teaching from Jesus, what it means to follow him, what it means to be church. I'm going to look at another one of those bits of that particular discourse next week when we look at Jesus washing the disciples' feet. If you go to Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they focus very strongly on the meal and the inauguration of what we came to call Holy Communion, which we'll celebrate later in this service this evening, this morning. John doesn't mention that particular aspect of the evening although it's clear from the beginning of chapter 13 that as Jesus talked with his disciples, it was over the meal table. So it was probably the same meal. And I think for us, it's probably because we know the end of the story. I think it's hard for us to imagine what the disciples were going through that particular evening. Jesus had already said to them earlier about going back to Jerusalem. And it was Thomas, wasn't it? He said, come on, let's go with him so that we can die with him. It was a sort of throwaway comment, but it probably meant more than he realized at the time when he said it. Jesus had spoken of his hour having come, of his going to be away from them. It's clear from the conversation that the disciples didn't understand exactly what Jesus was getting at. They were worried, they, they were frightened perhaps, and afraid. And if that wasn't enough, there's then a triple whammy when Jesus says to them, one of those who's been on the road with us for three years is going to betray me. And you can see the look of horror going round them all. Is it me? Is it me? Is it him? Is it him? Who is it? He says, to strong as a rock, Simon, Peter, you're going to deny me three times. And then after that, he says, you're all going to run away. I wonder how they felt at that point. I mean, they've been with him for three years. They've grown close together. And now he says, you're going to show anything but love to me. You're going to scatter. And if you want to add to that, if we take Luke's account, somewhere that evening, they started to squabble with each other as well as to which one of them was the greatest. And Jesus took a towel and washed their feet. I don't know, maybe if we tie Luke and John together like that, we see something of the sheer power of what Jesus demonstrated. That's what we're going to look at next week. Whichever way you look at the events of that evening, there's that sense of foreboding, that sense of something terrible is about to happen. And for the disciples, they know that somehow they're going to be part of that terrible thing that's going to happen. And in the midst of that, Jesus issues this command to love one another. Maybe he's saying to them, look, it's going to be messy over the next few days, more than messy. You're going to get scattered, you're going to find it hard. But when I've gone, you've got, still got each other to care for each other, 
to love each other, to look after each other. And more than that, when I'm gone, you're going to have to do that because I won't be here with you. Yes, he's promised them the Spirit to be with them, but there's something more than that going on. They're to show love to one another. Think of how we value loving support from friends, from family. Going through a tough time, maybe there's illness, maybe there's a family issue, maybe it's horrendous at work at the moment. What's the one thing you look for? It's that community you can come back into where you're free to express your fears, your worries, your doubts, your anxieties. When you know you've messed up, you come back into that loving community to seek forgiveness, to seek the love that will surround you. The early church was beset by persecution. And one writer puts it, they needed havens of deep and supportive love in that context. I suggest we probably need that just as much in a culture which is apathetic to the gospel as we do with one that's deeply hostile to it. I'm not sure which of those two cultures we're actually in at the moment. Havens of deep and supported love. So maybe we can understand why Jesus didn't just simply say love one another, but love as I have loved you. He set the example of what it means to love one another. And I just want to look at some aspects of that this morning. The first of it is that love is, his love is unconditional. Jesus doesn't wait for his disciples to get their lives in order before he says, I love you. Think of the, the woman at the well. Or Peter, as we already reflect on that beach at the end of John's gospel. We love because God first loved us wrote John later, many years later. And Paul writes, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That's the depth of that unconditional love. Jesus' unconditional love doesn't expect disciples to just love those like themselves. Same ethnicity, same class, same culture, whatever, because his love was for all. I wonder who you find it hard to love because that person is other in some way. There's some incredible writing that's come out of both the, the wars in, in, in the Balkans and again out of the genocide in Rwanda and Burundi. Miroslav Volf, who's a, a Croatian, um, writes and reflects on what it meant to be reconciled after the wars in, in the former Yugoslavia. He called his book Exclusion and Embrace, a theological exploration of identity, otherness, and reconciliation. And he brings the stories together of how in the midst of where you categorize somebody as other, you began to learn to love. And Emmanuel Katangoli has done the same thing as a Ugandan priest but he's done that from talking and praying and reviewing with those in Rwanda. 
one of the things that struck me as we've gone through this series in the each other bit is how often there's been that challenge to love those who are different to us. And maybe that's a message we need to hear for now for ourselves with those who we say, yes, Lord, but not them. Please, not them. Or maybe is it that it's a call for us as a church as we look ahead and God challenging us and saying, you've got to be open to this because this is what I'm going to do with you. You're going to find that I'm bringing you others who you're going to find it harder to love. You need to learn what it means to love the other who's different to you. I wonder, do we pray for revival? But in our hearts say, yes, Lord, but not them, please. Are we willing to be open-hearted in our love? I wonder who we struggle with to love because they're different to us. Is that a, a barrier to us loving them? It's love that's unconditional. And Jesus' love is sacrificial. He repeats the command in chapter 15 and verse 12 of John's gospel and immediately adds, greater love has no one than this, that he lays down his life for his friends. It's sacrificial. I think some of you will probably know the story of Maximilian Kolbe. He was a Polish Franciscan priest who had worked as a missionary in China and Japan. And he returned to Poland in the early days of the war and got involved in the, um, in the resistance movement. He was captured and sent to Auschwitz. And on one occasion, a prisoner had escaped from Auschwitz. And so the decision was taken that an example punishment would take place. And the guards brought 10 of the inmates together and said, right, you're going into that cellar there and we're going to leave you to starve to death. One of those who was going to be put in there pleaded strongly and loudly with the guards to be not put in there because of his family. Corbe heard those words and stepped forward himself and said, leave that man, I'll go. They were put into the basement cell and left to starve to death. Colby actually outlived the other nine. And the guards went in there and he was killed with a lethal injection. But for Colby, his love was that in terms of sacrificial, of going in for that other man and for his family. Now we may not be called to that. Maybe we will be. Who knows? But there may be other ways that we're called to live sacrificially. It may be to do with our money. Maybe to do with our time. It may be with a desire that we have deep within us for niceness, whatever that looks like. And God's saying, I want you to sacrifice that to love and to care for others. writing at the end of the second century. The church leader, Tertullian, comments that the pagans were looking at the church and saying, look how these Christians are ready to die for one another. 
sacrificial love. And I wonder, do we struggle to love others because we know it's going to cost us in some way or other? And then it's a love that's to stem from obedience. Jesus says, I give you a new command to love one another. It's a slightly strange way, isn't it, to our ears of phrasing something about love. You know, love is something we fall into. It's not something we very often feel we're commanded to do. And yet in many cultures today, that would still be seen as, as, as legitimate to command to love. I remember talking with um, somebody who came from a culture where there was much in the way of an arranged marriage. And she said, you know, you know, in your culture, she said, you fall in love and you marry each other. In my culture, we marry each other and then we fall in love. And we do command, don't we? We command our children and our grandchildren to love each other. You know, when they've been knocking six bowels out of each other and you've just about managed to separate them. Sort yourselves out. You've got to love each other as siblings. I'm sure you've all done it at some stage or other. We command to love. In other words, it's an intentional love. It's not something we do if we feel like it, but we we move ourselves into it. Jesus demonstrates that in his life and in his obedience to his Father. Think of Paul's description of Jesus in that great servant song of Philippians 2. Being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Jesus talked to his disciples after meeting with the woman at the well in Sychar, and he says, my food is to do the will of him who sent me, an intentional obedience to the Father's will, a new commandment I give you to love one another as I have loved you. In 1 John 3, John says, you know, believe in his name and love one another. In other words, it's almost as if loving one another is a straightforward consequence of believing in God and trusting in him. And we saw more about the challenges in 1 John 4 as Hilda read it just now. Whoever claims to love God yet hates a brother or sister is a liar. Whoever does not love their brother or sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. He's given us this command. Anyone who loves God must also love their brother and sister. Obedience is a demonstration that we love God. And if that sounds too authoritarian, maybe we could put it in this way. We love out of a recognition of God's love for us. That may change the wording. I don't think it changes the practice or the the difficulty of the practice afterwards. So I wonder where you are struggling with that command to love one another this morning. And finally, from John 13, Jesus goes on to say that when we do this, when we do love one another as Christ has loved us, we will be demonstrating God's love to the world. We will become a community which others look at and say, I get it now, that's how God loves. Just look at them. That's what the call is here. 
I don't know about you, but I know for, for many of us, I guess, in the past, we may well have worked in workplaces where sometimes the atmosphere can get quite toxic, where there is a lack of love, where one section is against another one. I remember one occasion when I got called in and was escalated to because of a dispute that was going on, and having to really, you know, sit them down and say, for goodness sake, talk with each other. You know, I didn't actually say love each other at that point. Talking with each other would have been a good starting point. But when, we, when you do that, those of you who have experienced that, will know the toxicity of, of living in that sort of a culture where there's constant fear, where there's constant sniping at each other. And it's horrendous, isn't it? Jesus here calls for something that's the complete opposite. That as we love one another, so others will see what God's love is like. I don't think we've quite got to shouting each other as a staff team here. Um, I was in a, a small group when I was doing my ordination training where we nearly came to blows with each other over organizing a service. Um, and we, it, it took a day's retreat with a retired bishop to sort us out. I mean, the, the retreat was already planned, but actually it came at the right time for us as we, as we sorted that through. But there are times in any community when we overstep the mark with each other. And part of this is that we come back together to forgive each other, to say, no, that's fine. I forgive you and I love you. And we move on. And we grow in depth of love. One of the reasons I think that many followed Jesus in his earthly ministry was because of the way in which he had shown love to others. And so now the call is for us to do the same. Tertullian again, in that second century, also said that the pagans were saying, see how these Christians love one another. There was something about that community which was eye-catching because it was different, because love was at the center of it. One of the most frequent comments made by guests at Alpha, regardless of where they come to make a commitment during the course, is how much they valued the community time around the tables, and how much they learned from that. And I wonder with, perhaps for many of those who come, it's the first time they've been accepted, shown indiscriminate love, and been valued for who they are. And they've suddenly spotted it and seen it. Oh, that there was more of that in our churches. That they were seen as places where Christians love one another. Writer Francis Schaeffer said it this way, love is the final apologetic. That's a very startling phrase I came across in preparing for this week. Love is the final apologetic. We can do all the debating, we can do everything else, but if it isn't shown to be real on the ground, people aren't going to believe. We're called to love one another. Jesus said, love one another as I have loved you. His love for us is unconditional, it's sacrificial, and it's intentional as it works out of obedience to God. And when a community lives that way, it testifies to others of Jesus. Jesus calls us to be a community which loves one another as he 
has loved us. Doesn't mean we become a doormat. It does mean that we love each other enough to be able to help each other when we get things wrong and when we've been offended to go and talk with the other person and in love work things through together. It's hard work. And that may be why Peter, immediately after Jesus, has said this command, Lord, we didn't understand what you were saying 10 minutes ago. Can we move on to that, please? And can you explain that bit? Rather than focusing on what he's just said. Don't let's turn away from it. To love one another. Because as we do so, we will grow in Christ-likeness in our own lives. We will grow in Christ-likeness as a community. And pray God that it will grow a community in the world which becomes more Christ-like. So this week, what relationships do you have that need renewing and refreshing in love? Who are you struggling to show love to at the moment? And who will you seek to help you to overcome that difficulty? Let's pray. Love one another as I have loved you. Lord Jesus, you know the ways in which we fail to follow you in that command. You know the ways in which we fail our brothers and sisters by not being obedient to it. Restore us in your image. You are the God of love. Restore your love in us and help us as we love each other that we may do that as you have loved us. For your glory and for testimony to others, we pray it. Amen.